Good morning, Missio. How are you guys doing? Good? Good, good. Yeah, so uh, we, um, we are a part of the Missio Day family of churches and excited about what God is doing. And, um, and so we are in South Jordan and connected to Missio and Salt Lake in all kinds of ways, mission, vision, values. And, um, and so this is one of the ways that we can do that in terms of sharing resources and people and um, and then with the care portal, it's just one of those things where uh, we share a passion uh, in foster care and adoption ministries. And so this is like a phenomenal way where literally state agencies are working with uh, Christian churches. And um, I, I don't know of any other spots often where that's happening. And so just excited about what God can do and how you can literally be meeting needs in your community for people who aren't going to come knock on your door. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to happen sometimes. Sometimes people aren't going to come to church and say, hey, we have a need. And in this way, the, the state is doing that for us. So super excited about that. Uh, I also wanted to say one thing just about uh, kind of the season that Missio Salt Lake is in in terms of some transitions and things. Um, and just I wanted to encourage you guys. I've been around um, the elders and I've been around the meetings having conversations about what uh, the next season looks like. And I just want you guys to know, man, you guys are in such good hands with the, the, the elders and the leaders and staff here at Missio uh, in Salt Lake. And uh, so if there's at all any kind of like, oh, what's the next season going to look like? Man, I'm excited about what God's doing. And you guys are, um, you guys are represented really well with a group of people who really care about what God's doing, but also care about what's going on uh, in the needs and the lives of the people here at, in Missio. So I just wanted to kind of encourage you with that, uh, that, that it's been an, an awesome thing for me to be a part of. So, um, and I am just going to kind of continue on in the series, uh, Good Trouble. Um, and so if you've, if you've been here, then, then what you know is the, the, the conversation around Good Trouble has been um, that, that the resurrection uh, isn't an ending point, it's a starting point. And it's a beginning of what it looks like for the people of God to then begin to, to live out the way of Jesus. And, and that, that we are a part of the kingdom of God, we are Jesus' people, and because of that, we then begin to kind of carry out the things that our king uh, was doing way before he even was, was crucified and resurrected. And, and, and in that, sometimes we're going to be doing things and it's going to be countercultural. It's going to go, go the opposite of the way things have gone for years. It's going to go the opposite of the way that the people in power and the, 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 the way the people in power say that you get more power, right? And so what it means to be a part of a kingdom and to have King Jesus over our kingdom is that we do things kind of in the way that, that King Jesus does. But like all kingdoms, the goal of all kingdoms is to take ground. Right? I mean, the goal of all kingdoms is to take ground and to have more people be a part of the kingdom and to take ground. The difference, though, is in the kingdom of God, taking ground looks differently than it does often in the world. It looks differently because it's not about yielding a sword and it's not about taking ground by, by yielding a sword and, and hurting or putting fear in those around us, but we take ground by the sacrifice and the love uh, of our king, King Jesus. And so, uh, if you guys will open up to Colossians chapter 3, I want to read our passage for today uh, and talk about what it looks like uh, as Paul's kind of addressing some things in the book of Colossians. Uh, we're going to be in verse 11, 
And I will read this uh, passage for us here, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Starting verse 11, it says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if... One has to complain against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you'd help us uh, to see what you're saying to us as a community, to us as individuals, God. And may it stir something in us. May it stir our affections towards you and towards oneness and towards community and what it looks like, God, to be the, the people of God in our community and to see more people uh, come into your kingdom as you take ground, God. Help us to be people who would would do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, And so at the beginning of this passage, we have um, um, this conversation where he says, here, like where is here? And if you look at the very beginning of Colossians uh, chapter three, he's talking about uh, here is this the new man or the new place, this new kingdom, this new place in which we find ourselves. And the here is literally a newness of life. What does it look like once we're here? And then once we're here, there is none of these kind of labels or stereotypes. There's not Jew, Gentile, there's not circumcision, not uncircumcision, barbarian, skating, slaver, free. Like it's none of those things. We are all one because Christ is all and he's in all. And that sounds like a really, really dreamy place to be, doesn't it? But how many of you know, especially in our day and age, right now, in a place where we seem to be able to be more connected than ever, to be able to get instant messages like never before, and yet often we are more disconnected, aren't we? We're not only more disconnected, but we have ways in which people have have driven division and caused many of us to kind of jump to one of those sides, so much so that, that we are actually more divided now, I think, than ever before. And certainly the messages of division are, easy, are easily attainable compared to what they were before. And, and I wonder, when Paul's talking about this, when he kind of mentions all of these people, like for us, like, okay, yeah, you know, Jew, Greek, like, like we see these things, and maybe they don't make quite as much sense. So, so I want you guys to try and figure out how, how do you understand the difference between a Jew or a Gentile, circumcision and uncircumcised are pretty much the same thing as Jew-Gentile. The difference is um, uncircumcision and circumcision are more kind of like a jab, if you will, I guess, more, a, a, more of a definer for the Jew and the Gentile. And, and he says these divisions are there amongst you, right? Like he's not addressing this if the divisions don't exist. And what happens often is we put all these like labels on things. We do it now. Um, we label entire generations and we basically say entire generations are a certain way. And often uh, in most recent uh, years, you know, there's, there's all these good things about 
these different generations, but uh, how many of you are in the millennial generation, and how many of you are sick and tired of people talking crap about millennials, right? Right? I mean, seriously, like there's songs about, I remember the first time I, I heard this song and I was laughing, oh, that's funny. And then I was like, wait a minute, that's not really funny, and that's not really true. I mean, how do you classify an entire generation of people that makes up, you know, 14 years worth of people being birthed in those 14 years and say, this is who you are? But that's what we do, isn't it? We put labels on things, don't we? And, and, and we do that because it makes us feel better, doesn't it? It makes us feel better to label things and to label people. It makes us feel better about ourselves, right? We want to label a generation and say, this whole generation is this way because, you know, I'm not. Right? This whole generation is this way because I'm not because I'm awesome, right? My generation is awesome. That generation isn't. And that's what we do. And it, we do that with other things besides generations. We do it with people, we do it with people because it makes us feel better. We do it with people maybe because we feel like once I have that person labeled and in this kind of box, then I know how to treat them, handle them, right? Anybody, was anybody labeled as a kid? I was labeled as a kid. Uh, I was, um, I went to my fifth grade teacher and was, introduced myself to her. And she was like, oh, I heard about you. Oh, you did? Uh-huh, and then she told me all the things I wasn't going to do in her class. You're not going to talk. You're not going to do this. You're not going to misbehave. You're going to not, you're going to not do this. Because I was the bad kid that all the teachers, if you're a teacher in here, I'm sorry. But, but all the teachers were like warn my, my, my next teacher about me, right? Like, oh, he's, oh, but watch this kid. And so I was labeled as this, this kind of troublemaker. I was labeled as this kid, possibly rightfully so, as someone who maybe talked a little bit, as someone who maybe was, was a little hard for teachers. And I'll never forget when I was in the eighth grade, does anybody, uh, you guys do Citizen of the Month or whatever at your school? We did Citizen of the Month um, for me. Um, I never got it, by the way. <laughs> but maybe I never got it because did the teacher, was there any chance of me breaking out of her box? Once the teachers have set me up as the bad kid, the one who's got a problem, the one who's going to, right? Like, they didn't even think my jokes were funny anymore. But in the eighth grade, man, I had this teacher, Mrs. Heath. And for whatever reason, she didn't put me in that box, and she didn't let those labels define me. And they didn't, she didn't just, it, like, it, it, it made me describe who I was, but she didn't allow it to be a prescription of who I was going to be and then how she was going to treat me. And because of that, man, she laughed at my jokes. She thought I was funny. She thought I was great. She, she figured out ways to, like, kind of steer me in really good directions. And, like, the month before, like in May, I got Citizen of the Month. Yeah. I don't know if they have, like, an agreement with the school where every kid's got to get it once for their, you know, I was there nine years. So I don't think that's true. But she just saw something different. She didn't allow the labels to define me in ways that, that made me be even like, more difficult for them. And I think this is true about all kinds of ways in which we, you know, we're having a conversation about foster care and adoption. And listen, man, there are labels and there are things that are attached often to this system and what it looks like to be a part of it. And maybe it's even why some people, man, I'm not really sure I feel called because I've heard so many bad things, right? And so often there's, this, there's these labels that are put on people that are in this part of the community. And, and I can tell you from firsthand experience 
doing foster care, adopting kids out of foster care, I can tell you from firsthand experience that if you adopt the label and put it on someone and say, yep, that's who they are, then that's how you're going to see them. And if that's how you're going to see them, you're never going to see them the way God sees them, ever. So what I want to do is talk a little bit about what does it look like for Jesus to jump into um, a labeled society, if you will. Um, there is a, a theory, it's called labeling theory, and the theory says this, it's the theory of how the self-identity and behavior of individuals may be determined or influenced by the terms used to describe them or classify them. It is associated with the concepts of self-fulfilling prophecy and stereotyping. And so often the way in which we would speak, see people and then speak about them and speak over them is really, really important. And what we see is Jesus entering into a time and a community when labels are strong, right? Jesus enters the scene and you hear things like lepers, sinners, adulterers, prostitutes, drunkards, uncircumcised, Samaritan. You see all of these labels. And Jesus gets himself and others in a little bit of trouble sometimes, doesn't he? Why? Because he engages these people who were not supposed to be engaged. So I just want to go through about five of these real quick to see what our King Jesus and how he handled what it looks like to, to have a society that is labeled and disconnected and in disunity all because of those labels. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus in, encounters a leper. And if you know anything about leprosy, you know anything about the first century, what would happen is that because of their leprosy, they were literally had to tell everyone else that they were unclean. They had to just yell it out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, because if anybody was going to go to the temple and worship and actually came in contact with a leper, then they would then be ceremonially unclean. And so what the law was for a leper was they had to tell everybody they were ceremonially unclean and not to touch them. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And so you can imagine as someone would say that, everybody would be like, peace out, right? And, and what we see in Mark chapter 1 in verse 40, it says, And a leper came to him, Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, literally kneeling in front of the king, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And as amazing as the healing is in this story, what I find even more amazing and what even more compelling is that the person who was labeled unclean and had to tell everybody they were unclean, Jesus, a rabbi, someone who is, would, would say, I am going to keep the law, says, puts his hand on him and says, be well. Touches the one who's unclean, the one who's labeled not to be touched. We have the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were basically, as far as they were concerned, they weren't Jewish. They were, they were unclean. Because they were half-breeds, they were nothing. There was an in and an out in the first century. And as far as the Jews were concerned, everybody but a full-blooded Jew was out. And they were the only ones in. And so the Samaritans were not only out, and not only were they on the outside, on the outskirts, in this us versus them dichotomy, they were pushed out, shoved out, so, so that they literally had zero connection with people outside of their own little tribe. And Jesus goes to the well, and as he goes to the well, he has this interaction with this woman. 
And as he has an interaction with this woman, he begins to speak words, prophetic words over her, and he begins to to speak and, and say things into her life where she is blown away. Jesus is doing the very thing he shouldn't be doing. He shouldn't be sitting with a Samaritan. He definitely shouldn't be sitting with a Samaritan woman by himself. And he shouldn't be having this conversation, and yet he doesn't care because he's, he's going to drop the labels and he's going to begin to speak the words of life over them. And so he, he, as he begins to speak words of life over her and she leaves, when she comes back to her, her, her crowd, she says, they said to the woman, after she tells him what happens, they said, it says, they says to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's literally because Jesus doesn't care about the labels and the negative labels that have been put on somebody that this woman and this whole group of people come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You have the, the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with her tears and with oils. And, and, and what we know later on in the Gospels, we know this is a woman who was classified as a prostitute and she she actually is over his feet and she's, she's crying and she's cleansing and she's, she just wants to worship the king. And as she comes to worship the king, everybody else in the house is going, what is he doing? And in verse 39, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him to his house saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I look at the, the thief on the cross. I mean, I, I, I could do this all day, right? Because this is what Jesus did. But I, I think of the thief on the cross, and you have the, the, the one on each side, and, and one is kind of mocking Jesus with the crowd, and the other one is kind of telling him, like, shut up, you know? Like, this guy's getting crucified just like we are, and, and he didn't even do anything wrong. And then he begins to say, if, if, if I, I want to be in your kingdom, would you, would you take me? And, of course, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, because of that, we have the centurion, and the centurion is, is amazed at what he's seen in terms of the interaction with Jesus and the rest of the world on the cross, and then what he says to the, the, the kind of world after this, and what we know is this beautiful picture where the, the centurion later on, Luke says, surely this man was the son of God. And so what does it look like for us to be the people of God in God's kingdom? Well, what, hopefully what you know, what, what you think, or at least what you believe it should look like is it should look like Jesus and the way Jesus interacted with the people who were outside of his kingdom. You and I were once outside of the kingdom, and yet be, no matter what the labels were, and again, no matter what labels were rightly given to me, regardless of that label, Jesus still pursued And Jesus still said and invited me into the kingdom, invited me to the table. So there's a seat for you. One of the classic passages, right? Judge not lest you be judged. It's really about labeling someone and judging them in a way because how many of you like to be labeled? None of us, right? But how many of you are good at putting labels on people? Amen. Right? Like none of us like it and yet we all do it. None of us like being judged, and yet we all do in some ways. 
Again, I'm not saying that I didn't deserve some of the conversations about me being tough, a tough kid to have in your class. Again, teachers, I'm sorry for your tough kids. But all it took was one person, one person to not let that affect them and not let that affect how they saw me and to see the greatness and the abilities inside of me and to begin to call it out of me. And it literally is one of the years that changed my life. Jesus invited all of the labels into his kingdom and said, there's a spot for you at my table. There's a spot for you at my table. And as people of King Jesus, we don't really get the option of picking and choosing what we emulate and what we don't. That's the hard part, right? I mean, am I the only one that when I read through the scripture sometimes, I'm like, oh, man, that's hard, (laughs) right? Man, that's hard. And this really, this whole conversation really is one of those things that's hard. What does it look like to be people who live and dwell in unity and oneness? And it's hard because it's hard inside of us, but it's also hard because everything externally tells us that you have the right to disconnect, that you have the right to push aside, that you have the right to have an us versus them mentality. And what we need to do is push back against that as the people of God, because that's not how our King Jesus works. We may not all be born equal, but God gives us all new life equally. And at the foot of the cross and at this table, it is even. He does it because he says we are born again. He gives us new citizenship. He says we have new life in Christ. We have a new allegiance to a new king, Jesus. So I want to go through kind of the rest of this uh, passage real quick and talk about, so how do we do that? How do we do it? Uh, verses, uh, if you start in verse 12, it says, put on then. So in light of us being one, in light of us um, of dropping the labels. And he says that, that there is no slave or free or Jew or Gentile, uncircumcised, circumcised. Bar- I mean, if you took that list of people, these are, the, these, these are like, the, like the bad news bears of a community. And none of those people would ever fit together. None of them. And yet he says, all of those things don't matter because we are all in Christ. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful statement that I think for us is maybe can be missed in translation. But he says, in, 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 in light of all that, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then he says this, and above all these, above all the things of being compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So one of the things I said when we talked about all of that, I said, isn't that like a neat, neat little picture of what things could be like? And everybody's like, yeah, but then we all admitted, but that's hard, Right? And so what I want to talk about, just for a few minutes, I want to focus on verse 14. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What does it look like to put on love? This, the, the word for put on literally means to envelop yourself in it. it, it it's like this picture of, 
you know, when it was 20, to 20, 20 degrees outside and you go outside, you literally are enveloped in a jacket and a coat, head over, got, you know, my, my 16-year-old son, ironically, is, um, lives in Utah, but he's allergic to the cold, whatever. And, uh, and so literally, like, when he goes snowboarding, whatever, he is head-to-toe covered. He is enveloped. And so he says, Paul tells us, the way we do this is above everything else that you do, what you have to do is you have to literally envelop yourself in love and in the love of God, right? Because all of us define love differently sometimes, don't we? Like how many of you guys love food, right? But hopefully you don't love food like you love maybe your husband or your wife or your significant other, right? Like, like there's different definitions of love and we put on love, it's not like I put on love like it's like it's my favorite food. We put on love. It's agape love. It's literally unconditional. I put on love, and when I put it on and I'm enveloped in God's love, I can do nothing else but love like he does. I'm enveloped in this love. And what we know is that what he's basically saying is that love brings people together and makes their differences compatible. Again, if you take Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians. If you put all those things together, it is a crazy bunch of people. And none of them would be in the same room on purpose. The only way that they are compatible in the kingdom is if we put on love. It's the only way. And one of the ways we do that when we put on love is we just have to drop seeing them as a barbarian, seeing them as a Jew or a Gentile or a Greek, and seeing them as someone who's out and I'm in. It's the only way that we are compatible. And what he says is the only way to do that is to put on love. And then he says, and it binds everything together in perfect harmony. The definition for harmony is the positive combination of things which are not exactly the same. Right? It, it, when you have, if you're in music and you have voices and they're all singing and they come with harmony, it's they're literally at different pitches. And then, I don't, I'm not a music person, but, but they are different in a way. And when they come together, it's like, oh, that's it's way more amazing than it was with you by yourself. And harmony is about bringing things together that are way better than by themselves. I'll give you an example. If you like jelly sandwiches, I'll pray for you. If you don't like peanut butter and jelly, I'll pray for you. Jelly, I wouldn't eat a jelly sandwich if you paid. Well, maybe if you paid me, depending on how much. But jelly sandwiches, eh. But put those two things together, and it makes those things compatible. Like if I had, gave everybody, if you weren't allergic to it, made you all eat some peanut butter. You know, it's just like you don't eat peanut butter out of a jar, typically, maybe unless you're pregnant. I don't know. But, but typically, you don't do that. Why? Because it's just, it's like uncomfortable. And this, you know, that, that metaphor can go on and on and on, right? There are things that by themselves like, eh, eh, or no way, or gross, and then you put them with something else, and you think, oh, I can do that. There, there are, are things, when you look at the people of God and the beauty of the differences of all the people of God, that by ourselves are nothing compared to if we come together. And so it's this beautiful picture of the kingdom, this beautiful picture that he's painting here. And he says, and to, to, to be able to do that, man, you have to put on love, right? Because like my eighth grade teacher found out, they might have been right about Tony. But I'm gonna choose to put on love. 
You hear a story of someone. They might have been right about that person. I mean, as great as I think I am, I know that I'm not as great as I think I am. And I know that I am not easy to deal with sometimes. And I know that I handle things differently than you would or you would or any team of people. And when I come on to the team, I handle things differently. But what I need is I need a group of people who go, I handle things differently and so does he, but us together, man, we are powerful. And it's the beautiful picture of some of the marriages in the room. My wife and I are not the same. We are very different in all kinds of ways. And sometimes, like, because of the fact that we're of our differences and because of kind of the work it takes to bring harmony and putting on love, sometimes there's this, like, man, if, if I was just more like her, then we would get along better sometimes. And at the same time, Praise God that I'm different. And the two of us together become this powerful force. What does it look like for us to be in harmony? What does it look like for, for literally combinations of things that are not exactly the same to come together and be positive and powerful? In talking about this idea of love, right? We can, we can be compassionate and kind and humble and meekness and patience, and we can do all those things for whose benefit? Mine, right? Like, like there's, there's sometimes if I'm going to be humble, like I'm a smart enough person to know that in this situation, it's going to pay me to be humble. I'm, I'm a smart enough person to know if, I, if I'm compassionate right here, that's the right thing to do for me, but, but all those things can be self-serving, and agape love when you're involved in it is not. And Paul addresses this again in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all the faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up all my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What does it look like for us to be enveloped, to have the love of God envelop us in a way that it changes literally the kind of rhythms of our life, and it changes even the way we approach everything and everyone? A couple of other scriptures about love. John 13, 34, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And what we know is that Jesus says the way the whole world is gonna know that you guys are my disciples and the whole way the world is gonna know that, the, that you guys are a part of my kingdom, the kingdom of God, King Jesus, and you guys are submitted. The only way they're gonna know, the way they're gonna find that out is your love for one another. And he's not saying your love for one another when everything's awesome. And he's not saying your love for one another when you guys are all the same. And he's not saying your love for one another when it's easy. He's saying they're going to know by the way you love one another when you disagree. When you are not compatible in all kinds of ways, and yet somehow God brings this beautiful tapestry of people together, and you become compatible and become working in harmony for what one thing, and that's the love of God and his kingdom. It's the beautiful picture of the gospel, and it's a beautiful picture of the church. 
right? The metaphor of the body of Christ all throughout Scripture, we, what we know is if one part of our body hurts, we all hurt. That's how we know that we're in a body. Anybody ever jacked up your toe and then realized you didn't need it so much until you jacked it up? Right? Like, it, you didn't realize it was that important, and then all of a sudden you couldn't walk because of it. That's what love looks like, and us being compatible and needing each other and harmonious. And then that, then, is this beautiful picture to the world. Romans 13, 8 says this. It says, Owe no man nothing but to love them. Owe no man nothing but to love them. And while that is talking about all the different things that we would have to, oh, the beautiful part is he's saying is that's the one thing that you basically will never be able to satisfy. It is a debt and a way of life you will never be able to satisfy to owe them your love. Do you look at people that way and think, I, I can promise you that you don't look at people that you would label and that you, that you have accepted what the label is and what society says about them, you do not look at them as people that you would need to owe their love more than likely, and at least I don't. Owe no man nothing but to love them. Love is a debt that you'll never satisfy. And so maybe what you've done is you've, you've put off, in Colossians, the very beginning of Colossians chapter three, Paul talks about you gotta put off all these kind of things, right, sexual immorality, and he, he just names all of these different things that people just need to just throw off, and, and lying, and stealing, and cheating, and he just says, throw off all these things, and you got to put on the new man. And so what happens a lot of times, especially in religious circles, we look at the fact that I put off all those things, and we go, oh, I'm good, like I'm better than them, right? I, I got it, because I'm better than them. See, they're still doing all that bad stuff. And Paul says, you know, maybe you've put off all those things, and maybe you've even put on a few things like humility and kindness and meekness and patience. He says, but if you haven't put on love, and you haven't got to the place where you're literally connected and, 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 and harmonious with people that you are not compatible with, man, you haven't even scratched the surface of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God with King Jesus. And here's what I do know is that just like, you know, the series is good trouble, right? Just like all of these things, when Jesus, all those encounters that I read on top of all the other ones are all reasons why people basically did not like, they hated him, and, they, and Jesus got in trouble time and time again because of his treatment of other people that everybody said was out. You, you are going to, if you step into this and you begin to step into what it looks like to, to jump into to not accepting labels and begin to love on people that, that everybody else says don't deserve to be loved, you will lose friends. You will be labeled a certain thing and maybe that label is better to have. But you will have people go, yeah, you know, I, my kids can't play with your kids. Why? Well, you know, because you got some sketchy kids in your house. What's better? To drop the labels and love the kids who need to be loved or worry about that family who's not going to hang out with your kids anymore because, you know, those are the kind of things that are real life and that happen. 
what do we choose? Do we choose love? Or do we choose to let those labels define us? And do we choose to let those labels define the way we see other people? And instead, what Jesus says to do is he says, what, what I need you guys to do is see the people the way I see them. That's what's amazing about being a part of the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask you to do something he wasn't already doing himself. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I need you guys to take up your cross and follow me. But I'm not going to get on the cross. No. He says, take up your cross and follow me, and I'll show you how it's done. He doesn't say, I need you guys all to get along. I need you. In, this, in this age of division where people want you guys to be disconnected from each other, where people want you guys to be throwing labels on each other and hating each other just for a belief or a political system or whatever or a religion, instead of doing that, what I want you guys to do is I want you to love each other. But, you know, I'm not going to do that. He loved even the people who put him on a cross, and he forgave them. So when he says in here, if you guys to, to be in harmony with each other, you have to forgive, he sat on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they're doing. No matter what all of the different labels are out there, forgiveness and love trumps them all. Band, you guys come on back up. Maybe one more passage as we get ready for communion. And this is the um, a parallel passage to the Ephesian church. Um, what gives me um, solace in this is um, clearly the Colossians were not the only ones dealing with this and this struggle, right? So now he's in Ephesians, and he's basically telling them something similar. Um, it, within each body, there's always this desire for disconnection. There's always this desire and this need to kind of do your own thing. But what's important, man, is that we stay together as a body and we are under one king, King Jesus. We are united in ways that when we go out into the world, the world knows who we, whose we are by the way we love each other. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, I'm, I'm going to read kind of four or five passages. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There was one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be one. And we need to see people that God's put in our life differently than the way everyone else sees them. There are people in your life that you may be the only one who doesn't let the labels prescribe how you treat them and how you talk to them. You may be the only one. For me, the, those labels, they, 
Mrs. Heath had an effect on my life, but I still just kept with the labels. And it became my persona, it became a part of me, it became who I was. And there was a group of people who just saw me differently. Instead of a 23, 24-year-old foul-mouthed punk jerk who only cared about himself and he was doing all kinds of the wrong things, they knew all of that and yet still loved me. They knew all of that and saw something. The, 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 they literally saw the created image of God in me. And it was that that informed how they treated me. It was that that informed how they interacted with me. It was that that got them to invite me back after the first couple times I hung out with me and realized this dude's rough. And I forget that all the time. I forget it all the time. But when I remember it and I, and I, and I choose to love someone, it's God rekindling the story of how he pursued me and how through a group of people who didn't see me as all the labels, who literally had an impact on my life to where, you know, 19 years later, I'm preaching from a stage in Salt Lake City, Utah. Seriously, you guys. <laughs> That's funny. Trust me. You ever wonder what people are going to think like when you, like they, they, they want to friend you on like a social media or something? Like, yeah, sure. You're like, it's going to be fun. <laughs> you know, like, Wait till they see you, right? That's me, man, and it's because someone didn't see me as all those things that everybody else labeled me. And then what I realized when I got involved is this was a group of people who none of them were the same, and yet they all loved each other, and they were living into this bond of love all because of God and what, the work in his life, and they were submitted to King Jesus, and because of that, that was something I wanted to be a part of. And because of that, I listened to the gospel. Because of that, I listened to worship music. Because of that, I did things I normally would not have done. So I wanna pray for you uh, as we move into this time of communion. Um, like I said, what I love about Jesus is he invites us all. No matter what's going on, man, you're invited. No matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, you're invited. And just like all these different people that Jesus continued to invite into the kingdom, no matter what name they were called, he invited them. Think about this. I mentioned five or six. There's like 20-some of these different encounters that Jesus has, and they're all labeled. You don't know one of their names. They're just a label, and typically it comes with a, pro, with, with a, a negative connotation. You don't know their name. You don't know the woman. You don't know the men, and yet he invited them in spite of how everyone else saw them. So may that be the mark of the people of God. And specifically, maybe that be the mark of Missio Dei. I want to pray for you and then invite you to come to the table, and then we'll continue to worship. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you see us often in ways that we don't even see ourselves. God, we thank you that you see us in ways that you see the the beauty and the good and you pursue 
and you challenge the things that maybe even we think about ourselves. And God, through your pursuit and through your salvation, God, you make us beautiful. And so I thank you, God, that, that you have not just done that for people as in these scriptures that we read and not just for us, God, but your desire is to do that for those in our lives. May we, God, step into your love. May we be enveloped by your love. And may we then move on and may we, we, we then, out of your love, begin to see people the way you see them. And God, I pray that we would be people because of our love for one another, that the world literally knows who you are. So we thank you for that. As we come to the table, God, remind us, encourage us, stir our hearts for you. And may Missio Dei be a beautiful picture of the gospel and the kingdom. And God, we invite you to be our king, King Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.